Hey guys, it's producer Ross here and welcome back to another edition of Ross Meets. I hope you all are keeping safe and well in these very weird and strange times in self-isolation. Now, this is a little tease to the second episode of my series. Of course, this is a little bit different to the first episode, which was with former town midfielder Adam Tanner. Um, if you haven't listened to that already, go back and listen to that. But if you have already, then great. Cheers for that. But yeah, this is a bit different to that episode as I was able to meet up with Adam face-to-face, see him in person, have a nice little chinwag. But of course, with everything going on, with everything locked down, I wasn't able to do that uh, with the player in question, which is former town midfielder George O'Callaghan. Now, George is based in Ireland, his hometown of Cork City. Um, so, of course, I wasn't able to travel over to Ireland. A little behind the uh, curtain chat here quickly. I was actually planning to head over to Ireland in June with my good old friend Liam from Crew to have a nice little road trip around Ireland um, to watch some games and just, you know, drink, basically. But yeah, we were going to have um, a nice little chat with George when I was going to be over there. But of course, with everything going on, that hasn't been able to happen. And I really wanted to chat to him. I had so many different questions. And I thought, you know what? We're in self-isolation. We're in lockdown. Why not have a little chat with him while this goes on? So of course, I had to rely on the good old interwebs or Skype so I was able to chat to him and he had a really good um, chat with him. He had a brief spell at Portland Road, of course, but he has a very unique story from his beginnings at Port Vale as a very promising youngster to returning back to Cork City and his hometown club and winning the league there, playing in the UEFA Cup there, then, of course, joining town. He only played 13 times for town, scoring one goal, but um, he had a little story behind his time at the club. And also, he also managed in Malaysia, if you didn't know that. And um, he talked about his interesting time over there managing one of their teams. And that was just a, a very good open chat. And I hope you do enjoy this. Hopefully, I'll be bringing you a few more during this lockdown period. And I hope you do enjoy it. So, here we go. Me and George, I'm a little, little bit of a chinwag. Better than everyone else. I was always there early every day. I was always there after training. I did everything possible I could to play for Ipswich. But for one reason or another... It just didn't. It just didn't work out, and it was so frustrating because all I wanted to do was play for Ipswich. Hey guys, it's Ross here, and welcome to another edition of Ross Meets, a series where I talk to town, former town players about their time at town, their whole career as a whole, from the ups to the downs. And today, I'm joined by former town midfielder George O'Callaghan via Skype. He's in Ireland. I'm in Ipswich. Um, how are you doing, George, in this current weird times we're in? Very good, Ross. You know, obviously it is very strange and weird times, but uh, we're all in uh, self-isolation, so um, there's nothing we can do about it. Just uh, one touch off the wall every night with the infla with my little boy and trying to keep all the kids happy, but you know, it is what it is and hopefully it'll um, be over soon. Cool. What was your um, first feelings when I actually asked you to do this interview? Because, you know, you had a brief time in town, but it was memorable. Yeah, it was. Um, I suppose, yes, because Ipswich is a club really close to my heart. I loved Ipswich Town. And um, unfortunately, when you look back, it, it didn't work out for me whatsoever. Um, but um, as I say, I, I, I just loved that club. As soon as they're there, I, I walked onto that training ground and seen Portman Road and the whole lot, you know. And it's, it's, the, first, it's the first result I probably look for in the English League every Saturday when I'm over here, you know, see how, how town are getting on and there. Uh, you know, I still have really good friends there, and do you know what? It, it it made me a lot happy in my life that I actually got the chance to go back and play for a club like Ipswich. You know, and you know, at the time, I I, I still believe like Ipswich Town is a Premiership club and it should be a Premiership club, and I hope eventually.
hopefully one day it'll get back in and rid of his dog. Yeah, we've uh, fell down a little bit since you, you've left. Now in League <laughs> One, but it is what it is. Yeah. But, um, I no, it is disappointing. But, yeah, what I do in this series is I sort of talk to you about your beginning of your career first. Um, yeah. Did you always want to be a footballer? You know, were you always interested in football? Um, I actually, I, I used to play the Gaelic sport over there, hurling. So that was kind of my main sport because all my family came from a running background. Um, my hurler was a really good hurler. So I kind of used to play soccer. with soccer here. <laughs> so football, <laughs> soccer over there. Uh, yeah. So I, I used to kind of be involved like, in the football to just kind of keep my fitness. And then um, all of a sudden I started getting good and got interested from scouts. Um, and then kind of football kind of became my first love. And then I was really lucky to get a trial with Port Vale. Had a few trials with, with um, coming up like with Liverpool. Um, had other clubs. But my, my, my family had friends that lived in Stoke and Trent. So if I was going to England, they wanted me to go live with them in Diggs. I was lucky to uh, go over there and trial. And I went there on my first day. I'll never forget it. Um, I didn't have a clue who the first team players were. We were actually a decent side in the championship then days. And uh, the new team were playing in the cup, uh, in the FAU Cup that night. And the reserves were off because they played the night before. So uh, John Rudge brought me out and I was only 15 to play the first team. So oh, wow. We, yeah, it was amazing. I was only 15. I, the only one I knew was Lee Glover. Lee Glover used to play for Nottingham Forest. He used to be a striker because Roy Keane used to play in the same, same team as him. So we literally started the game and done a warm-up. And we did seven sides and Paul Musselwhite, the keeper, threw out the ball to me. And I ran through about five players and scored. And John Rudge took me off the pitch and brought me back to his office. And he rang my mum like, OK, we'll sign him. So, yes. <laughs> Quick. so I was like, OK, mum, like this is... It was in... I'm moving to uh, Stoke. I'm going to be a footballer. So, so that happened really quick. That's crazy. Yeah. A lot of um, a lot of Irish players that have come over to England at a young age, like as a fifteen-year-old, that must have been scary for you in a way. Or did did you love that? Did you thrive on just because you want to be a footballer, just coming over? I, I think with all the kids, you have the buzz because you know you're going to England. Everyone thinks you're going to be this famous footballer, all your friends, all your family. Um, I don't think the reality hits in until you're like maybe two or three weeks into it, and you're in digs. Um, back in my day, it was completely different. I, I know all the lads now in the, in the youth academy and I've been involved. Well. Uh, I've been to see Ipswich Academy and the people there who do all the great work. Back then days, we were just throwing in digs and you just went out and played and there was nothing there for to look after the players. You know, if anyone had a problem, it was just dealing with yourself or you hit it. So, um, yeah, it was really tough, you know, and I was like a 15-year-old skinny kid going into a changing room with lads who were in the U team who were, you know, 17, 18. So there was a sense that I had to learn how to protect myself, you know, and I did a interview recently for uh, RD over here I was kind of trying to say there was a little bit of a bullying culture which there was at that time of football but you had to adjust and you had to get better and the only way I could do was have a better first touch or be better than the players that were trying to be like that with me and I think that's the way I learned that I had to be, have a better, be better than them and maybe train harder and then I could turn around and go well, at least I can control them and you can't and I kind of learned my cheekiness that way from people you know so it kind of went like that Cool. You um won Young Player of the Year. I've done my research. I've done Young Player of the Year <laughs> the time there. You, you started as a striker, but then you moved back into midfield. Is that correct? Yeah, that's happened a couple of times in my career. Uh, I started as a striker, but then I moved back into midfield. But um, I was really lucky that time because Portfell, at the time we had John Rudge as the manager, it was a real... Like the countryside... 
it's not just get into that kind of environment. Like, as I, I've been saying, there wasn't the facilities to look after players, but there was still that kind of vibe around the club where people look, you know, the older players might look after you. And there was just a nice community of players there. And I think that's what he built. And uh, I was really lucky then to get into the first team um, made my debut against Wolves and kind of went really well for a while till John Rudge got sacked. So, <laughs> and then Brian Horton came in. Yeah. You, um, of course, put out in that time you were playing a championship. You played actually, I saw, I did some research, but you played against Ipswich I mean, a 3 0 defeat at Porn Road. So, you did play at Porn yeah. Road as a kid. I don't know if you remember yeah. any of that. I do actually. Yeah, that's true, actually. I remember that. I remember, I remember going, whoa, look at this place. But, um, yeah, like when I look back on my um, poor failed career, everything was going really well. I think, like when I was eighteen, uh, Arsenal came in to sign me. They offered a million to sign me, and I remember being out on the pitch, uh, and the groundsman said, "Oh, Pat Rice is up up in up in the gaffer's office. He wants to. They're trying to sign you." And I've came up to the office, and Pat Rice is walking, and he goes, "We haven't got you this time, George. But we'll get you the next time." And I went into Rudgy, and I said, "Oh, Rudgy." Uh, like he goes, I want to go to Arsenal. Like, and he goes, no, you'll stay here with me. He goes, you're not going to play in front of Petit and Vieira. And he goes, we're, we're not selling you for a million. We want two million. So I was, then I ended up, they ended up getting Jermaine Pennant after me. So I was like their first choice. And then they took Jermaine Pennant from, okay. I think he was at Notts County because we were around the same area. Yeah. And I carried on playing. I think Bolton came into me that Christmas. And then John Rudge got sacked and that kind of turned my whole life upside down then when Rudgy left, you know, because um, Brian Horton came in and for one reason or another, I personally think he's, he's just a useless, like he's the shittest manager I ever had any other night, to be honest. I've yeah. had one or two, but he's 100% the worst and found me out of the squad for about 14 months, put me back in the youth team and then I kind of like started to get cracks in my own life, you know, because I was finding it hard to deal with that from going from being, you know, looking for, to a situation where I was going to play internationally for Ireland. I was playing in the championship weekend. Not weekend week out because Rudgy was taking me in and out like kind of because I wasn't yeah. physically able for it. But, and then I was back playing at the U team, so it was a nightmare. And I, then, I, must, yeah, I must be hard as a... You know, I must be hard as you know. Yeah. And the mad thing is I got back into the squad. I got back into the first team. I think I scored against Crew in the local derby. And within 10 games, uh, David Pleat came in from Tottenham to sign me. And again, they offered me a one-year contract. And I, Rudgie rang me, and it was house phones them days. And uh, Rudgie's gone, he, he's gone, oh, Tottenham, I've come in for you. He goes, like, you could go to them because my contract was up. And I goes, oh, what will I do? And he goes, stay another, another year with Portfell and then go again. And then Portfell literally rang my phone about two minutes later and offered me a two-year contract, double my money. And I was like, okay, I'll stay at Portfell. But within... I would say 10 months, 12 months, all that had unraveled. And yeah. like, poor Phil basically got rid of me. So, because I just, I went back, Brian Horton brought in a load of new midfielders, just did what he did to me previously. And uh, I just wasn't able to cope with it uh, mentally. And you know what? It just caused chaos in my life. You know what I mean? It just became reckless in my life because I didn't care if my whole football career was going. And I was still only 20, 21. So wow. it was a complete nightmare for me, yeah. So um, off, we'll, we'll speak about something else in a minute. But I want to. We went back. You went back to Cork Island. Went went to Cork City. Is that your? That, yeah. That's your born. That's your hometown team. So yes. You, so I'm kind of born and bred Cork lad. City like have always been my team. They've been there since 1984 when they were established again. So my 
brother would always bring me out. We'd always go watch Cork City on a Sunday. They used to play at two o'clock kickoff. So Cork, I had no other option. It was either Cork City or uh, I got offered a job in the Fire Brigade. Oh, and really? I was going to go back playing hurling. And I rang my brother and he was like, George, you're a soccer player. He goes, just go back and just do one year with Cork City. And then I kind of fit into Cork City. It was at a stage they were in a transitional pay, um, transition, transitional uh, kind of era where they were bringing in players, young players coming back from England. And we all just clicked and we just had this lovely vibe. And we actually ended up having this really good, exciting team, you know. And I suppose I was playing number 10 at the time. And when you, when you play in Ireland, the only club I feel you can play for is Cork City because you actually get treated like a footballer. If you go to Dublin, there's so many teams. But in Cork, you li- it's a bit like Ipswich. It's a little... You know, it's a town, but everybody's yeah. around you. Everybody knows the footballers and everyone else knows you. You start to feel like a footballer again. Yeah. Cool. You, of course, won the league in 2005 yeah. with them. First time they won it, I think, in like 12 years when they you know, won it. So that must have been a great experience and stuff like that, winning at your hometown club, winning the league. Yeah, that was an amazing night because we were one point behind Derry and it ended up, funny enough, that us and Derry playing at home uh, the last game of the season. So it was like winner takes all. And uh, we ended up winning 2-0. Uh, and Derry had a really good team. They had Paddy McCourt and all these guys playing for them. But um, it was an amazing experience. Like we had, I said we had 2,000 people outside the stadium trying to get in. Oh, That's wow. unheard of in League of Ireland football. Yeah. Um, what I remember, I only, right, believe it or not, because I was so pissed off at football, I only watched that game last night with my son. Really? Yeah, I actually sat here. I was actually sitting in this seat, actually. We sat down and I goes, listen, let's, let's go down, let's watch it. But... Um, what I remember from that game, because I don't really remember the games, was we won the, we won the league and everyone came on the pitch. And I really did everything possibly I could to win, that, win, the league, win a league that season. But as we all ran the pitch, I ran into the changing room. And as they were, I was in the changing room, the lads, I was like hearing everyone screaming and shouting. And I was like, no way, the lads actually lifted the trophy without me. Oh, no. Yeah, so I was in the changing room, so I didn't get to lift the trophy with the lads. And then I, uh, I came out on the pitch and Dan Murray was really close mate, my captain. And I said, we have a really famous shed in, in Turner's Cross where all the fans go shed and it's kind of like, it's always been there where I grew up and it was getting knocked down the following day for, for seating. So I said, oh, Dan, please, can I bring the trophy down to the shed? Because I missed you lifting the trophy and Dan was like, get me the trophy. And I went down to the shed. So it's basically, imagine just going into like, one of the stands with all the, with all the fans with the league trophy. And it's kind of like an iconic moment in Cork City football, but it was because I missed lifting the trophy with the lads. So it was a great night. You, um, of course, also played in Europe for Cork to play the UEFA Cup. Yeah. Um, you got through the first round, but then, of course, got knocked out. But that must have been a great experience for you playing in Europe for your hometown club. Yeah, I used to use this one in the changing room a lot of this, which I used to like, oh, lads, it doesn't help me when there's no stars in the football, you know. But... Um, we played, yeah, we, we played, I think we played 2004, maybe, yeah, 2004, 2005, we had a really good run, we beat, Ma- uh, we beat Malmo, uh, we beat Nijmegen, like, like, established small European teams, you know, that we shouldn't be beating, uh, Johan Niskins was manager of, um, of Malmo, um, probably then was when the time where it suited me, because I got to play, you know, League of Ireland, a lot of it, like, you're getting kicked around the pitch, so it was a time to shine, and, you know, you got to think we had a team like we, Kevin Doyle and Shane Long. Like Shane Long used to be on our bench and we had Kevin Doyle. And I think out of that team that played in Europe, I think 13 of the squad went to England. So like, it goes to show the quality that we had. Like, you know, that all of us went to England after we played in Europe. And they were great nights. You know, we played up in your garden. 
and played against Labia Prague, all these kind of games, you know, that you wouldn't get, you know, if you played obviously in the Championship League one in England, you don't get those chances. So um it's always something I say to the lads, I have more goals in uh, in uh, Europe than Eric Cantona, but uh, it's one of my lines, but I don't know if it's actually true, but I do have a few goals in Europe. It's good. Um, so do you reckon that sort of helped you, you know, raise your profile a little bit planning Europe? Because you of course next stop was it Idris Town. How did the trial come about with town? How what that sort of Well I kind of had it in my head when I came back to Cork City, which one of one of my regrets is that I never enjoyed being there because in my head I was trying after the first season of Cork City, I knew I was better than everyone else in the league and I wanted to get back and play in England and make amends for what happened at Port Vale. You know, because like Ross, I, I kind of had a lot of personal problems when I was at Port Vale, which stuck by me from a 20-year-old, which sticks to me to this day, you know. And for, for, for those problems, like, you know, like we used to be out drinking, we used to be out making casinos, all this kind of stuff that wasn't good for me. So for me, I was always, like I was saying, like pissing against the wind, trying to get back in because people would ring Port Vale and go, oh, no, well, he did this and that. So I was always trying to, make amends for the person that I should be and that I was. I come from a great family and I just lost my way for about 12 months. Do you know what I mean? That I didn't have no support. Yeah. I didn't ring my family and say anything was going wrong. So I spent my whole time in Cork City wanting to get back and play in England. And that was my dream. I had to. So all the games I played for Cork City, I was just stressed inside. So I knew scouts would be way better because if they're going to take me on, they're going to ring Port Vale and Port Vale would say this. So I needed them to know that it was better than what was going to come out of Port Vale. So, um, when it got to, I think it was 2006, we were playing the Champions League and I was starting to get to the stage where I knew clubs were coming in for me, but Cork City were desperate to keep me. So yeah, I, I, I actually fell out with my manager, Damien Richardson. So we had a big bust up in the training ground and I said, well, I'm not playing for you no more. And he said, fine. He was as stubborn as I was. Instead of people just coming and banging our two heads together and getting me back for the Champions League, yeah. he was stubborn, I was stubborn. I said, well, I'm not coming back. Because... I think I was at a stage where, because of what happened at Port Vale, I, I was willing to let it all go because I'd been there before and I, don't, I didn't have to do it anymore. You know what I mean? I was at the proving yeah. a point to myself. So then Slavia Pride came in to sign me and Cork City said oh. I could go. Um, um, then they said, yeah, they said I could go and then they rang me while I was going to the airport and said, you're not allowed to go. No, we want 150 grand for you. So that was cancelled. Celtic came in for me. I was about to go to Celtic for 100 grand and then Gordon Strachan signed Virgo from Brighton and he signed the left back from Burnley and they were complete shite and they, last four, they drew four each first game against Mordewell and yeah. Celtic rang me up and said, well, listen, George, uh, like Gordon Strachan signings have been terrible. We can't take you at the minute to be signing a League of Ireland player. The fans will go crazy. So then I got a call from Ipswich to go over and trial and um, basically what happened at Port Phil, I remember we went in, I couldn't believe it. It was just, I was like, you know, the training ground is beautiful, at, you know, you know, at, at uh, Ipswich. And we'd played a game with Jim and Jilton was playing in the centre side. And again, about two or three minutes into the game, I ran past a load of lads and I like, like lashed one in the top corner. And I knew by Jim's face, he was impressing me. Like, so then Jim brought me into the office that e evening. So listen, I'll sign you, but we'll take you on loan at the minute because we're still contracted to Cork City. So um, Cork City wouldn't let me go. They wanted to get paid up front, so we were trying to negotiate. And to be fair to Jim and the club, they were trying to get me done, get that done over before the transfer deadline on the 1st of September. So I was in Alan Lee's house, waiting to get transferred, hoping I'd be ready to kick on with Ipswich. And then um, 
Cork City let the transfer window go and they rang me half an hour later, Damien Richardson, the manager, and said, I don't care where you go. No, he goes, you can't play till January. So oh. I was like, what a, what a dickhead. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What were you doing then in that time? Because you didn't play for Cork at that time. You were... I, I, basically, I basically trained every day with Ipswich. So Cork City yeah. were paying me my wages. I was living with my sister in London. I used to get to train up from Stratford every day. So I basically... I was like a full-time Ipswich Town player anyway, you know what I mean? But I was getting paid off Cork City, but I just couldn't play for, play for the first team. But, um, you know, and, and I suppose that was, you know, that was probably my downfall with Ipswich. I think if I hit, because I was really on fire at the time in the League of Ireland, if I came in in September, I was ready to roll. I, I, yeah. I would have hit the ground running because I, was, I, I wasn't, I didn't have a pre-season. I was in the league in the season already. Yeah. But because I couldn't play, then I was traveling up and down in trains. Then I got meningitis in October Wow! while I was at Ipswich so then I was like down in my sister's house in London and like one Sunday morning because she, she's a pharmacist I couldn't move my head in bed and she was like George you've got meningitis and I was like no I don't and then she took me to the hospital so then I had meningitis so then I'm sitting in the hospital bed in London thinking well Ips- Ipswich aren't going to sign me now what's going to happen so within five or six weeks like I kind of got out of bed and I ended up going back to Ipswich training but I wasn't right at all Ross I knew in my head I could feel my head spinning in games because I was a much better footballer than I was showing but I think Jim kind of knew my commitment and the club seen my commitment to the club and wanting to be there and be part of what they were building and they ended up eventually signing me I think like two or three weeks into into January but like they signed me I was playing reserve team games I knew I wasn't right but obviously I couldn't say to Jim I'm not right like because like this manager this thing is really like knocked everyone out of me so you know I played a few first team games that season and I was thinking well just get to the end of the season come back flying in pre-season and then we'll, we'll get going you know but um, yeah just I think and, and, and I knew it like when you get back to when I signed for Ipswich sorry I'm rambling now but if you get back to when I signed oh, for the day I signed for Ipswich um, I walked into the canteen and Charlie Woods has turned around to me Charlie Woods has said that to me and then there was a U-team coach there I never liked him I can't remember his name I was going to Google him earlier before he came but I'll find it I'll, I'll, I'll text it on to you and he said to me they were at the playing Port Vale in a U-team game and he came in about a week later and said oh Port Vale were telling me about you and then I was like in my own heart was sinking I was thinking man like am I ever going to get away from all this shit you know that, that I'm trying my best to get on with my life you know so um, yeah I think, uh, so, yeah I think I, I read oh yeah I read, I read a quote um, that I think you said that you had a reputation of being a mix between Joey Barton yeah best, yeah which, not all, all the stories are exaggerated completely like you know but like you, you back those days, you you didn't have Twitter, you didn't have social media to defend yourself. For yeah. me, if you're not in with the local media, they're going to write whatever the manager wants because the manager is obviously going to give me his interviews. I I was out of the scene, you know. So I never got to defend myself. I tried to keep my head down. When I went to Ipswich, I was nothing but professional, and I know that. Between me and Matt, I I wasn't the quickest. I wasn't strong, but I was always fitter than everyone else. I was always there early every day. I was always there after training. I did everything possible I could to play for Ipswich. But for one reason or another, it just didn't, it just didn't work out. And it was so frustrating because all I wanted to do was play for Ipswich. You know what I mean? And 
like I played against Barnsley one time we won 5-2 and I scored yeah. and I wasn't even on the bench for Sheffield Wednesday the following, on the, the following week you know I think my last game I played for Ipswich I played against Plymouth I got man of the match and that was my last game I never played again so you know it's, it's just so frustrating Pat. Re- it really kills me the Ipswich one yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll ask you about your, you know, your time at as, as, as the club. You know, Jim Jill, when you were manager, of course, he signed him. What, what was he like as a, as a manager? Because he was still, a, you know, a good player even then. I am. Um, for, for some reason or another, uh, my two favourite managers was one Pat Dolan, and that was in Ireland. Uh, and Jim, I love Jim. I love playing for him. Um, he's the only one that I was ever scared of. Of all my managers, honestly, I, I I had so much respect for him. I appreciated what he did for me. Like the day I left, he said to me, "He goes, George, I regret never giving you a proper chance when we were in the office." I go, "That's another story you wanted here," but um, I really liked him, and I and I I do think that end of that season when when we're not being two thousand and seven, when I just got signed, we were at the building, and I think Franny Jeffers came in, and that was the best Franny was. Franny was never the same after he left Ipswich. He was actually okay. starting. And we had a bunch of lads, like yeah, Gary Roberts. Um, and Lee was, was, was flying. Like, and Alan was like, you know, one of the main men in the changing room. Um, you know, Billy Clark. Um, you know, you, Dan Harding. You, uh, Johnny Walters. They were building a bunch of lads that I think knew they were lucky to be playing for Ipswich. But... Then all of a sudden, they got an injection of money and they started going out buying players. And I think if they kept that core of lads together, they would have done anything for Jim because they all love Jim, you know what I mean? And I think I would love to see him if he actually just stuck by us all and said, right, lads, stick together because I think we would have all pushed ourselves together or together and been a close-knit team. And we would have, I actually think there would have been a chance they would have got into the playoffs like, and, and got in that season. But he kind of went away and he, I think he brought Norris in and, and you could kind of see the, the kind of the kind of system everyone was starting to change then, you know, everyone was getting breaking up and Franny was let go and what he was after building all just fell away within a few weeks. Yeah. You had a core of Irish players, yeah. you know, from Adam Lee, John Walwood, Billy Clark, you had Owen I lived with Subs for a while. Uh, was a great player but Gabs you know what's going on in Gabs head like, you know he was a fantastic footballer you know and I know he did well at Palace but you know Gabs probably if he stayed at Ipswich you know we'll probably still be there now yeah know, that kind of way uh, Billy Clark was brilliant obviously Billy left um, it's, I often find it really funny you know those young lads that came through that won that uh, FAU Cup I yeah. often think because they used to always say to me because I would go for a couple of bears on a Saturday night go oh George you shouldn't have a couple of bears on a Saturday night and I was like, I'm 28, 29 and I play for Ipswich Town in the championship like because if you come back to me when you do that and it's funny that none of them really ever did that they all faded out before happened. and I often think like because they were so minded like, by um, Brian Clodd and the club like they never had a hard you know what I mean and I think when times got hard for them they all broke and I also think maybe they weren't mentally strong enough. Like, and, like I know Gars and Anthony Palace and did really well, and he was like that. But all the rest really kind of faded away mentally, you know. And I, when I look back and look at that picture, that team that they had, like they should have done a lot better. All those players. Yeah, it's the um, I think the 15th anniversary this 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 month. So it'll be interesting to see where they all are now. I know a lot of them have yeah. now 
well played just non-league football. I think there's a few, like Liam Craig was the captain. I think he went on to play you know, pretty highly in Scotland, but yeah. a lot of them haven't really kicked on, unfortunately. Like, no, no. Who was your roommate during your time in for a lot of away games and stuff? Uh, I had Alan Lee all the time. Yeah. yeah. So um, I absolutely love Alan Lee. Like, he's, he's a great guy, Alan. You know what I mean? I, I, he's the only one really that I keep in contact from there. And at the time, was the main man as well. You know, he was scoring lots of goals. Um, just great, great crack, Alan. Like, you know what I mean? He's, Alan is what you see. Like, he's just really funny. Keeps the changing room going. Just a great lad, great guy. Uh, I could never speak highly of him. He's like a brother to me. Like, I just I love Alan. Because he's, of course, at town and at non-league clubs and stuff. So, hopefully, I'll yeah, He's doing really well at Bury, at Bury now, Bury St. Edmunds, and you know he's involved in the schools as well. So I think he just wanted, I think Alan loves Ipswich, and I think uh, he was there with the academy, obviously, and I think he just wanted to go in a different direction for a while. I think he has his own ideas in his head that maybe he couldn't get through at Ipswich. So, you know, I have no doubt that Alan will definitely be back at Ipswich someday anyway. He has to be, you know, because the type of lad he is and the way, he, the way he holds himself and presents himself, you know, he, he'd only be positive for the club, and I think the club know that anyway. I want to I want to bring up maybe a bad moment at town. Um, it's which is your full debut. Um, I was there yeah. against Watford. Yeah, joke. <laughs> Got set off. Yeah, yeah, because uh, my, my, my uh, wife was in uh, university in Bristol, and she said, uh, "It's come on." Like she was she was like living with a couple of lads, and she said like all the lads sitting down and was like, "And Jeff Stelling's gone." And George O'Connor keeps up to his bad boy reputation with sending off on his debut for such a time. But um, yeah, what a nightmare that was because I just got in the team, what well, was a minute to go before half time, and Danny Shit, who was falling on me like he's about 18 stone. <laughs> and all I did was try to get him off me, and then um, that ref sent me off that no one likes anyway. So what a nightmare. Jim killed me in the changing room. Absolutely. Uh, I seriously, his whole team talk was screaming at me at half time. Like, literally killed me. Like, you know what I mean? It's so bad. Brian Clud was like, George, you need to go into the showers because he needs to speak to the team. So, man, it was devastating because it got rescinded, that red card. But then yeah. I missed out. I obviously missed out then. And I think we played Wolves on the Tuesday night. So, obviously, I wasn't there. So, I missed out on that. And then it took me another while to get back to the team. It was an absolute killer. But um, it's just like a book, pal. It just, if, when my book comes out, it just all adds up and it keeps going. I just had just always miss on that bit of luck you need, you know. I didn't have, and we were battering Watford that day, if you remember when we were doing really well. And yeah. um, I thought Danny Hayes and Jamie Peters pulled us out, but remember they got the goal, and I think they said it was offside, wasn't it? So, yeah, nightmare. Yeah, got it. Um, for your just give me like a few words, just your overall thoughts on your time at town. Like, anything you do regret? Like, is it because do you think? Because you were ill and you just sort of ruined your really that peak of hopefully playing a lot for us. I, I, I think I think the coaches underestimated me because you know what, if I came in, I was just acting in and enjoyed this, they probably looked at the player that wasn't himself. So I was probably only at fifty or sixty percent of myself, you know what I mean? I know I was better than a lot of the players, and I was coming from a, a situation where I was dominating European games, like and I know people go, Oh, well, it's this, but it was against big clubs. I knew I could have done that, but I kind of needed a run of games. I think of, like everyone needs 10 or 15 games. Like Alex Bruce came to Ipswich, right? Everyone used to him, right? Bruce, he played for 10 or 15 games and then adjusted and, and he kicked on with his career. I never... I would play, I'd be taken out of the team and play. So it was frustrating. 
And then I suppose I was sent on loan to Brighton, which you're probably going to get to anyway. Yes. And I know because Stops was in the car with Jim and Jilton one day and David Pleat rang again. And he said, what are you doing? He goes, your best midfielder is down at Brighton because I think that's the best football I played in England was at Brighton. And then obviously I came out with a thing on Boxing Day in Brighton. Um, and I said, oh, Dick Knight needs to sign, look after the youngsters. Like Dean Hammond was there at the time, Tommy Elfick and all these guys that I knew were good players. And he was messing them about. And all I said was a little thing on the paper after the game. We lost 3-0 to Millwall. I said, he needs to look after them. Don't worry about me. I'll be fine. But you really need to put a structure in to keep these players. Because I've seen it at Cork City. They leave for peanuts like Kevin Doyle and Shane Long. And the club end up losing out money. And I ended up with Brighton. I said, all right, I'm not going back. And Dick Knight took really offence to that, the chairman. So when I got back to Ipswich, because I was still contracted with Ipswich, Jim would say to me, uh, in January, like, oh, oh, good Christmas, George, you know? And I'd be like, yeah, I had, like, you know, the way he speaks, it's really intimidating, but he's not. And, was, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, great, Gaffer, like, you know? And he's like, oh, I bet you did, I bet you did, you know? And then after about two weeks, I knew Forrest were interested in me. I went to see him in the office, and I said, well, this is like the third week in January. And I said, oh, like, Jim, what's going on? I goes, you keep asking me have a good Christmas. I goes, why aren't the clubs coming in to sign me? And Jim said, oh, you know why? And I goes, I don't know why. And he goes, well, Dick Knight rang. Sheepshanks and said that I was pissed on boxing there in the changing room. So this comes back from my poor fail days. Mm. So I was like, I swear, Jim, on my life, I goes, I did would never do that. I goes, ring King Wilkins right now, who was the bright manager. And I goes, if you think that is true, I goes, I will retire. I goes, I'll never kick a football ever again in my life. And this is in his office. So he said, um, he. She was like, right, I'll go, so ring him. I goes, I want, I want to clarify this. I goes, because I goes, I'll retire from football. I goes, I'll never play again if you actually think this, because I was so sick shit of people. And Jim rang Dean Wilkins on loudspeaker, and, and Dean said, no, he goes, George is perfect. He's been a great professional down there. He goes, the chairman is just trying to get at him. And he goes, I can't protect him because he goes, oh, he's waiting to sack me as well. So Jim, Jim, I said, Jim goes, like, Jim, and I goes, like, you're ruining my career. Like, fair now, like, you know, because what? Because a chairman got pissed off because I told him he needs to look after the young players, which he didn't. They all ended up being superstars, by the way. And I actually found a piece on paper recently because from my book. And uh, um, only that, that was it. So then I said to Jim, fine, I'm, I'm done. I'm going back to Cork. Forget it. I don't want to play here anymore. I go, I don't want to play in England. Cancel my contract. And um, Uh, yeah, um, I'm kind of interested in it because of the stories. Obviously, you, you know where I've been and what I did in my career. So there is some good stories in there. You know, I think it's a bit funny, but it's a bit tragic. But sums me up. If anyone knows me, anyway. <laughs> um, we now talk about you know you return back to Cork, and then of course you had other spells back in England with Tranmere, Yeovil, and I think Cambridge United briefly. I think as well. Yeah. Um, because you, you, that reputation you had, you know, was that still, you know, hard to get clubs in England and stuff like that because of that reputation? I, I walked out the day I finished with Ipswich. 
my football career was finished because that was me. My hat was gone out of football. I was came back to Cork. I came back to Cork City on massive money. I was on about. I was actually on more money than the top Ipswich players. And in Ipswich, I was only on. I was probably one of the lowest players. So I was offered a huge contract at Cork City. It only lasted for four months because the club went bust. So I ended up going back to Tranmere. I hated every minute of it. Uh, I didn't like Ronnie more the manager. And uh, mentally, in my head. I think I was my my brain was I was burnt out from it. You know what I mean? I was burnt out from because I think I went cunt like I went two or three years without having a break because I was going from League of Ireland back into England, League of Ireland. And at the end, my 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 mind couldn't take it anymore. You know, and I was always when I loved going training, but I knew when I couldn't when I didn't want to train anymore and all that, I was just finished. And Cork City, obviously, when I was coming back to Cork City, I went to Dundalk, Waterford, like. Went to Cambridge, I didn't play. Tramier, I barely played. So, you know what I mean? As soon as I walked out that door with Jim, out Jim's office that day, my career was finished. I knew, I knew that in my heart because that fire in me that you need to have when you're football was all gone, you know? And, and I, I just thought, I, I was just trying to trust, you know what I mean? Like, why constantly put up with stuff that then time? That was eight years ago, and I was still target, tar- targeted with the same stuff. Yeah. Like, I, this is chairman's ringing clubs, you know what I mean? Like, why are you, what, you know what I mean? The day I signed for Tranmere Rovers, I done my medical, signed my contract, and I was sitting in the physio. Ronnie Moore came running up the, the, uh, up the, up, up the corridor, came into me, actually, my wife will tell you she was with me. Went, I just got a call from Mitch and said, You were pissed the boxing day in the middle one. My wife went, Like, what the fuck can I do? Like, oh, there's nothing I can do. Like, just, you know what I mean? They're just out to get me, so. I just had enough, pal. Just had enough. And yeah. I ended up, I think I nearly finished at 31 then. You know, I just, that was it. Career. Oh, I actually ended up in Brunei. I went to Brunei. You probably yeah. want to ask me about that. I was, was going to bring it up. I was just want to bring up about, you know, your wife. You know, because she was traveling with you to, you know, back to Ireland. She, is she Irish as well? Is she, you know, yeah, yeah. You she's from Cork. She's from Cork, my wife. But she's been everywhere. And my kids, I don't yeah. go anywhere. Like my, my base. So, uh, um, Emma and the kids, anywhere we go, we all go together. So, which is great. We have, like, Looking back, traveling around to all clubs and in Asia, probably getting out. Like, it was all an amazing experience. You know what I mean? My kids, like, my kids used to like hang out in like Universal Studios in Singapore every day, do all this kind of stuff. And you know, we travel all over England. They know London well. They know everything. So it's nice for them. The reason I'm home now is because I need their schooling. Their education is the most important thing. So they need to, they need a settled base. You know, so that's why we're here. So shall we talk about Brunei then? How did that sort of come about? So. I went I went out with my brother-in-law who's a football player Greg O'Halloran and is his name right he used to play for Hull but he, he ended up being captain in the and we were, ended up going you know before you could put like a pound or two pounds in an in internet machine yeah. and Greg says close your eyes and when I press when I say stop put your finger on the screen and we'll see what agent we can get in England to get you a move so me and Greg were after having a couple of drinks by then and uh, I've said stop like and if Kevin Horton has come up, this fella I'd never heard of him up by Ready. Frank Horton, he knew who I was. He said, Well, I could get you to Brunei. He goes, I want to play abroad. So he goes, Well, I can get you a trial over in Brunei. So I was like, Yeah, perfect. He goes, You're fit. I was like, Yeah, I'm fit. Like, so I flew over to Brunei for a trial with the Chrome Brits. And uh, I played a match and I scored a hat. They're complete. They're useless over there. Like, yeah, it's like, yeah. yeah, shocking and shocking. Shocking. So uh, I uh, 
<laughs> they were done for, I don't know what they're done for, some corruption, so they're only just getting back into the league, so it was their first foreign player they signed. So, so um, he, they ended up offering me a contract, living in South China Sea, like apartment on the sea was lovely, you know. Um, but then I had a Croatian coach come in to us, um, Simonic, I think his name was, but he brought in all his own players. I was the one that wasn't his player. So he absolutely hated me. So he would get me up. So every, every day we would play at five o'clock, we would play a match every day except Sunday. Like literally a match in 35 degrees heat, man. But this fella, this arsehole would get me up at seven o'clock in the morning and run the balls off. So I would go play the match and he would go, oh, import is no good up to the Crown Prince. So the Crown Prince would come, come in every security, all the roads cleared off, you hear the sirens. So um, he, everyone stops, everyone goes up through the steps and he is conditioning balcony, watching training every day, like watching this training. It's like Sunday league players. Um, my first day actually there, that coach stitched me up. I was like stretching and he stands, he stood up. And I'm, I kind of stretch him, my hamstring, like just stuck my thumb up to him, like, oh, how's it going? Like, when I get paid at the end of the month, it was like, uh, it was like, where's my wages? Everyone's got paid. It was like, no, you disrespected the crown prince. You're supposed to bow. I was like sticking my thumb up to him, going like, oh, what's happening, pal? You know, like, I was supposed to go up and stand and bow. So I never got my wages for two weeks. So that coach was stitching me up. So, uh, yeah, oh. but it's, we stay there for about a year. Uh, Yeah, after money I got. So then, I got. Uh, I was working for a football agent. I met a Russian guy, Silly Markov. He had a GPA worldwide. Ended up working as a football agent for him. So I emailed the Crown Prince and I told him my story, what happened to me over there, how I felt the manager treat, and I said. Come over. Joey Gamble and Roy Dunn and really good players, and they won the double. So he was so happy with me that I kind of built in the relationship with teams in Singapore. I, I met a, one of the banks that were doing takeovers for football and clubs. They offered me a job, and uh, yeah, I had four or five years out there. And I am. Um, up becoming the manager in the Premier League <laughs> for Saba. I was going to get into that. Um, what is a standard yeah. not very good then in Singapore? And not, in, not, 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 in, not in the Singapore League. Malaysian League is decent. It is good. You know, that is a totally different, uh, totally different kind of scene. But in the Singapore League and in the S League, it isn't, it isn't great whatsoever, you know. So, basically, Ross, I just broke up. Is it, is it basically, like, as you said, like Sunday League football? There's no respect to Sunday League football, yeah. but that quality. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's no quality whatsoever. Yeah, pretty much. They, they're just trying to get, you know, you're just trying to get the old footballers in. The kind of fellas come to the end of the career, want to pay their reading. Singapore League. Malaysian League is much tougher, much, much tougher, you know. Um, like when I went to Sabah, Sabah would be getting the same crowds as Ipswich Town. 
similar big stadium dealing with like 11 media i was only 35 like i was like what's going on tv cameras everyone laid four and people in the city like i wasn't ready for that whatsoever like like then i ended up signing lf juff off clive clark he broke my heart he's like the biggest fucking, i don't know anyone in the world that is just the most horrible human being that he is um yeah yeah he i think he came to us really financially under pressure and because i signed um just the captain of uh, west ham as well the other senegal lad and and he rang me one day i had to go to the room because joffy was crying because he lost all his money so i was dealing with that trying to give him pays in in advance to keep him happy get him going but um overall i made a complete balls of it (laughs) Um, I I kind of wasn't strong enough mentally to deal with it because I had 13 bosses I had 13 backups which was ours they eventually wanted to become the manager they, so they were bringing me into the office because we were winning and I actually was actually building a really good team but I couldn't deal with these guys because like, these guys were big big businessmen they wanted for their poli- they were all politics involved you know they were going for That's what this together. Social, no one because frustrating, you know. Just got away from it. So there's a lot of lot of politics in it in Malaysian football and just in Asian football in general because there's so there's so much. The crowds are massive, aren't they? Football is massive over there because of you know they've got smaller teams, so they watch the Premier League and they go, "Wow, we want to have that." Yeah, and it must have been as you said, you had thirty different bosses that must yeah like that for you as a still young you're only 35 did you say you were then you're yeah 35 and like i remember our first game we played a local derby like and i brought liam carney over like karen's was only 32 and we were basically standing on the pitch like with 35,000 people at home and i turned to him and was like oh man what are we doing here like like how we got into this situation <laughs> you know yeah. this is nuts like because uh, like, like, then we went to china for pre for pre-season matches that was the most corruption ever like it'd be like Ipswich playing a Sunday league team and we were losing games because the lads would be 20 yards offside and the lads would be going because it was like I'm sure they were match fixing games like it was, could yeah. not be possible like I'd be like going oh my god so I'm glad I got out of it I'm glad I upgraded it kind of came to this where I think anyone that goes to Asia that has a bit of normality about them I think four or five years is enough and you need to get out of there then I think it's done because you have to go for a year or uh, 80 months. Everyone comes back. No one stays, you know. So no, I was glad to get out of it. You know, China now is massive in terms of all the transfer fees going around and all the wages and stuff. You know, it's, a, yeah. it's just a lot of money. But um, you know, what, what are you up to nowadays? I, I, I saw a story that you, in 2018, you did a camp, a coaching 
from Cambridge Town to Ireland. How was that? Yeah, I loved it. We did it. We kind of wanted to build it in. And I remember actually, Alan came over and we did camp and we had all the kids. So it was great. Like, like you know, we were getting between 50 and 80 kids at every camp. So like Alan came one time and we had a camp with like over 100 kids in this lovely area uh, just outside Blarney in Cork. All in Ipswich town gear, all core, everything done right. And like Alan was actually getting emotional, like he was ringing Leo Neil, like, like, oh, believe this, you know. But um, I suppose the, the downfall was for it, the whole reason we were doing it was to build a budget so we could send the Irish lads over to Ipswich because, you know, Ipswich couldn't really afford to do that. So we're trying to find some Irish lads for them to do it. But it kind of came to, at the end of the day, for me personally, after all my experiences in football, it was probably the worst because I was dealing with parents, kids, and I was dealing with coaches that I brought in from Ireland that thought they were Pep Guardiola and thought they were all going to go over and manage in the Premier League. And it just became a hindrance on my life, really rotted up. I don't want to be negative all the time, but like there was a lot of kind of stuff kind of brought into it that shouldn't be brought into it. And at the end, I just pulled the plug on it because it wasn't worth the hassle for myself or Alan because all we were trying to do was get help Irish kids to get over. We were making no money as in a company because we were spending it all on, on players and parents to go over because they have to travel. Like, like for, for instance, one parent, right? I, I sent him and his son over to Ipswich and Troy, which he'll say for the rest of his life, that child, no matter what he goes, I'll be at Ipswich and Troy. His dad rang Ipswich and I was actually in the office he didn't know and they put him on loudspeaker and he said I haven't seen in three weeks and that's funny because he goes I was in Ireland on Wednesday with George and I seen you and he's like oh but I haven't spoken to him properly in three weeks and he goes well I was speaking to you like, and, like Alan's the boss and uh, then he then he complained hotel that I didn't put a gym in his hotel the dad <laughs> so, so when I got back to Ireland I rang and I said listen you you fucker don't ever ask me for help where your son again. I goes, because you're killing your son's career. I goes, if he's that good, go find another club because I'm not dealing with a pain to go ever again. So it was little things like that, man. I just thought, why, why bother? It's not even worth the hassle. So, so now you're now settled in Cork. Um, what are you doing? What are you up to now? Yeah, so settled in Cork. Um, we have a gym opening up in uh, like in Ballon College, uh, just outside the city centre. So we've got a big gym opening there, Anytime Fitness. So I really enjoy that, you know, kind of the fitness side of things. Um, I really like it because it's healthy living, you know what I mean? And our gym is all built about helping people have a healthier lifestyle, mentally strong, helping anyone, you know, that has an illness or anything like that. So it's, it's a lovely way to be. I do a lot of work in the media over here for the Cork City Games and the League of Ireland. Um, at the minute, kind of all my coaching has gone on, on uh, all that at the minute, you know, so I think I'll have a little break from that. And, you never know, I might get into the coaching again in the management side, but at the minute, just loving life. Everyone's good, all my kids are happy. Um, it's a beautiful day, looking out at the sea, can't go wrong. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, so it's just a nice life, nice, just steady life, bad, which is nice, you know, and uh, back home and everyone's good. Miss England, do miss England, you know, and do miss Saturday and the buzz for the games and all that, but still sit down, watch Soccer AM, watch the lads, Jeff and the lads on a Saturday on BT, watching the Ipswich results coming in. Kick it, tearing my hair out. Yeah, have you um, have you come back to a game since then? Since you left? Yeah, I know I've been back a few times. Um, I kind of like when I finished up in Asia and all that. I really did take a break. I kind of like, it just everything was upsetting me about it, and I needed to go in, clear my head, and have my right thoughts about it. You know, and I wouldn't have come back in doing the media and doing this kind of work unless I knew my head was clear and I, and I was at peace with everything. And and that's what I am, Ross. You know, I have, I, I'm really lucky. I was a footballer for nearly 20 years, professional footballer. 
I always just wanted to be a sports star in my local, in my hometown. I am that in Cork, you know what I mean? I, I've achieved that. Um, I've been transferred five times from Ireland, England, which I don't think anyone ever will be again. I got to play in Asia, yeah, I managed in Asia. I've been a football agent. I've been a successful football agent. Been, you know what I mean? I got to manage. So I got to run academy. So I've, I've done everything. So, and I'm only 40, so hopefully, uh, long, yeah. It's been a life of me, yeah, Pat. Yeah. Um, you mentioned you, you know, your son. Is he getting into football himself? Is he wanting to? Oh, yeah, he's football mad. Ipswich yeah. mad, Cork City mad. All his gears, Ipswich jerseys and Cork City jerseys. Oh. So uh, I told him I was going to speak to there a minute ago and he went down and changed his Cork City jersey into his Ipswich jersey. So, yeah, yeah no, he loves all his Ipswich gear. And uh, he, he comes to all the games. So he loves it. I, I don't really put no pressure on him, Ross. You know, I, I love the fact that my son is interested in football. You know, I'm sure that we'll sit down on a Saturday or on a Sunday, watch the games where I'm in dinner, and he can tell me about the players and what he thinks. And it's just nice to have your son like that. You know what I mean? I always wanted a son like that. And I don't care if he's a footballer, I'm more interested in his education. But uh, he's told his mum a couple of weeks ago anyway that he's ready to go and his boots are packed. So Brilliant. you never know. Yeah, it's half decent. Same as me, he's out all day, morning, kicking. So, bit of a hustler. Yeah. Um, I think your, your squad number at town was number 13, I think. I think it was 13. 21. Oh, 21. I was like, I don't know why I thought 13. 21, uh, did you, yeah. Did you pick that number? Or did, you know, I'm always interested. Did you pick that uh, number or was it, can you sort of like hand up and have this? There was only nine and 21 left, but I love Zidane, who was my favourite footballer. So, uh, Zidane used to wear 21 at Juventus, like, and Piero wore 21. So I was thinking, right, let's go with 21. So uh, I was always number 10 anywhere I went, but if I was number 10, I'd go 21. But, um, yeah, I love. I, it's funny. I, I keep on my Ipswich jerseys. It's the only thing I won't give away. And I love my. When I get Rocky's gears, I still get twenty one in the back. But he always gets Rocky and twenty one in the back. So well, when I see people playing for Richard Stone, like, oh, that's my number. Even though I like only a handful of games. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I do love uh, love my number twenty one Ipswich jerseys. Uh, they're the only ones that hang up in my house. Oh, I love that. Um, yeah. I just want to ask you one more question. Um, I've left this for last. Um, I heard you're Robbie Williams' best friend when you're at Port Vale. Yeah, but that's it. Yeah, that story. Yeah. So what happened was we went on a stag. It was the end of the season, but we were coming back for a testimonial. So we were in Dublin. We came back, all the squad, and we were sitting in a small weight room in Vale Park. And Robbie's walked in, but obviously the aura that Robbie has, he was with Jonathan Wilt. We were all standing. He's going, right, lads. And he's going, like, right, Robbie. And he goes, which one of these O'Callaghan? And I was like, geez. Like, I was like, oh, I'm like O'Callaghan. And he was like, he goes, I sold you. He goes, Johnny, that's the lad we sold for five million on Champ Manager in, uh, last week in Germany. So he kind of broke the ice with me and him. So then when he came, it was like he was chatting to me. And I think he actually thought in his head he did sell me for five million. <laughs> so Robbie was always coming back. He was always nice to me. And uh, I always tell a great story. I, I was going back and he, we were... But he was linked with Andrea Core at the time. So we'd, we were used to arguing. I was like, man, leave her alone. She's too nice for you, Robbie. Like, like all right, I'll be famous one day. She married me. I was thinking in my own head. And I said, oh, Robbie, I need your autograph from my uh, sister. She loves you. And Robbie took off his boxer shorts and signed, like, to George's sister, love Robbie Williams. She has him framed in her house over, over the village, over the road. So, uh, no, um, oh, I was like, and, you know, when you meet somebody like that, then, you know, a couple of times we were asked to do stuff in Channel 4, rating songs and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, when something happens, that was a superstar like that. It's always, you know, as soon as he comes on, that's the first thing you think of, isn't it? Like, oh, well, I used to know Robbie. So, yeah, great guy. Great guy, actually, really, really like him. And he came just after he let Kate down. He was just a gentleman. He always really nice. Yeah. Well, 
George, thank you very much for talking to me. It's uh, been great to hear stories, your time at town and just everything. Uh, one thing I'm more interested about is just your Asian, you know, your Asian trip. It's just, uh, when I was doing some research on you, I was just sort of thinking, how did that come about, you know, and everything like that. And it's great that you're able to share and be as honest as possible. It's, it's great. Yeah, so... So, oh, so, oh, no, it comes off for me. So, but it's been um, exciting, Ross. It's been great. And do you know what? Like, I do miss, I do miss, and probably my biggest regret is it switched down, you know. So, um, but um, you, you never know. You might have another O'Callaghan back there soon, get Rocky over. Scott Mitchell said he's going to bring him over in trial. So, let's see if he gets oh. over and see what he does. Let, let me know about that. What's, um, what's the name of your book? What's it going to be called? We don't have a name yet because. Yeah. I was going to have the madness of King George, obviously, because of the because the my nickname in Cork was the King. So I was going to use that, but I've got a couple of lads that are writing it. They've got their ideas, so we haven't made a decision on it yet. So um, we um, we're basically up to the stage just before I come to Asia. So the lads are busy at the minute writing it because obviously they're they're all in, uh, in isolation at the minute. So it's perfect. They're all doing the book. So um, yeah, we have to come up with it. I'll come up with it. So we're going to have to make a decision. Yeah, cool. definitely. Well, um, let me know when it's out, and then. You know, I can plug it and uh, I look forward to Thank it. you, Ross. I really appreciate it. Yeah, good luck to everyone over in Ipswich. Hope everyone keeps, keeps safe. From true crime to football, Brexit to Pokeville. For more great podcasts from Archon, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archon. channel